0: views and opinions expressed on the Hard Time Podcast are of the hosts and guests individually. The Hard Time Podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not affiliated with any entity, agency, or department. Human beings have thoughts and feelings that do not necessarily affect the professional performance of their duties.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent.
2: The correctional
0: officer in St. Louis County this week after he refused
2: to go back to the cell. This is what we have to deal with in makes like that. We have 24-7. Sit there and come up with to So they always want to try, but we've got to be proactive. Officers being praised for their quick actions. Got to
1: still remain professional and, and do a job. County Sheriff says, quote, they are heroes in my book.
0: Regular right day at the office. This is the Hard Time Podcast. It's episode number 51. Thanks for joining us on the Hard Time Podcast. My name is John. After I graduated from college, I went and I worked in campus safety for about six months, during which time I had exactly one call for service in which I escorted a professor from the building to their car during daylight hours. Then I went and worked at a regional store called Shopco, which was kind of like a discount green Kmart. All the books were cooked on that. We were losing at least one trailer to theft and fraud every year. It was obvious that uh, the company was going down the toilet. We hadn't opened a store in like 20 years. Uh, sure enough, Shopco has gone out of business. And uh, But before that happened, I was having such a terrible time at Shopco. I had uh, applied for a job at the state penitentiary. I decided I would rather work in a place where the odds of me having urine thrown in my face were actually pretty good compared to being here one more day. Because I hated working at ShopGo. And now they're all gone. And I like to comfort myself by believing that all the people that frustrated me at ShopGo are dead. Joining me now is Jake Motherfucker Waldo, well, the profane one. Uh, how you doing, Jake? You You had a rough night last night. You look rough. You look <laughs> terrible. You look bad and you're normally a very good looking guy i want to explain that this is a hard change for you you're up late last night
1: you should see my upper back it's just all inflamed and angry yeah i was up i've uh, always
0: wanted to see your upper back
1: (laughs) i was uh up late last night i completely blew off the podcast because i was remodeling the bathroom in an apartment which john says is a very terrible financial decision uh but uh, remediated some mold, took off all the drywall in the shower area, and then put up new drywall, uh, redid all the plumbing and then put new, um, a new surround in the shower. So the only thing that's original is the tub. So it was about 10 hours and eight trips to Home Depot, but I got it
0: done going back and forth to Home Depot sounds exactly like me a couple of years ago. Uh, there were some home improvements being done at my house, so I won't go into specifics on that, but I felt like you know, I can go to a store and get screws. As it turns out, there's more than one kind and just whatever I got was the wrong kind. And I was berated, made to feel like less of a man. I've never been very handy, although I will say like this is the excellent the best time to talk about this because I just installed a front license plate holder on my truck. So I could do anything. It turns out. <laughs> Did you check the blinker fluid? Stab it! You get out of here, you. <laughs> I know some car stuff. I'm bad at like building house things. Plus, you you, you mm-hmm. rent you rent the place, which is why I say it's a bad decision. But I rented a house, and the place was falling apart, and it had some wood rot. And, you know, I could have gotten in there and fixed it, but I felt like I felt like that was the whole point of renting an apartment, right? Was that I don't have to take care of this shit and mm. but the landlord was very checked out and they never cared about anything and i lived there for like six or seven years and they never came to check on anything that was going on they also like uh gave me a very hard time about getting my appliances replaced with like gas ovens that won't kill me and my family uh you know like one time i came home and the whole house was filled with gas and everyone was asleep and like that made me mad you know um <laughs> they're, they're all alive but uh, but anyway, uh, I just I, I when we finally got mice, I'm like, I'm I'm out of here. So we moved uh, we moved to the country. We, we radically increased the chances of having mice just to mice. be able to, to get away from that situation. So I, I'm having a great day. Uh, I, I got up and then I ate some breakfast and took a shower and went back to bed. I don't think I've had it this good of a day since I was like in my 20s. I've just decided to commit to that whole self-care thing. Today, today is the day that my give a fuck finally broke. I just like I'm just I don't have anything to do that's that important. And even though I definitely do, and I'm ignoring it, uh, today's the day where I got to enjoy it. So, uh, speaking of being lazy and not doing a whole lot around here, uh, we got a special presentation for you for episode fifty-one. Jake got to sit down with Anthony Ganji over at Tear Talk. And it's a podcast where if you haven't heard it, you definitely should. Um, they do what we do, but they do it better in that, uh, you know, if you listen to episode 50, you got to hear me have some pathos about how mad I am about the way correction officers are treated. You got to remember, I was an officer for like five years and I was a sergeant for one year and then I got out. Of, got out of there. So the way I look at corrections is very different in terms of having it as a career than it is, Anthony. And so if you're in corrections and you're in it for a career and you want to go up and you want to do better and you want to make the place better and you want to have a good relationship with your admin and you want to have a good relationship with the officers beneath you, Tier talks is the way to do that. I couldn't be a part of the episode, but uh, I chime in now and then. Uh, but uh, Jake, if it's okay with you, we'll just uh, go ahead and play your interview. Sounds good. You will allow it. Okay, here we go.
1: Uh, once again, my name's not really Jake, but I'm known as the profane one. Uh, I'm an active sergeant in the Southwest United States, full-time father, and occasional podcaster. So about uh, twice a week, we do hard time. And tonight, I have a special guest. It's a special episode. We're going to break from format a little bit here and uh, interview Anthony Ganji, uh, author and host of Tear Talk. So welcome.
2: Oh, thank you. My name is uh, Anthony Motherfucker Ganji. No relation. <laughs> <laughs> It's so uh, weird. All, yeah, just, hey, just thanks. Thanks for having me. I got a chance to watch uh, or listen to a few of your episodes on Spotify. So I truly enjoyed uh, the content you're pushing out. I mean, right now I would love to see more people that are on that front line pushing a good message. So thank you for what you're doing as well.
1: Yeah, no, appreciate it. Uh, John is uh, he's working this evening. He's also active. Uh, so he's protecting the community that he stays in. So, uh, that he lives and works in so he wasn't unable to join us this time unfortunately but uh, we've already talked about possibly doing this again getting some other people on so it's uh nice to have some cross-pollination i've watched and listened to you guys for a while so um uh, that's that's cool to actually meet you in person or not in person uh-huh. but over the uh over the World Wide web and uh, get to talk it's pretty cool i i joined um started in beginning of 2016 and actually started watching some of your podcasts and stuff back in the day. And I'm recently Mm. starting to get back into it. So that's good stuff.
2: I'm honored. Thank you.
1: So uh, for our listeners that aren't familiar with you, um, could you talk a little bit, introduce yourself, uh, your background and uh, what you're working on, maybe a little bit about your books and your podcast.
2: Yeah. And again, thank you for the opportunity and, and thank you for the support as well. So my name is Anthony Ganji. I've been in corrections now for over 21 years. Uh, I started as an officer at a female facility. uh, Then I made rank, uh, became a sergeant at a male facility, uh, maximum security facility uh, in 2011. And then in 2015, I crossed into administration. So I've been in prison management ever since. Uh, I have worked in five different prisons, uh, everything from female, uh, male offenders, maximum security, uh, sex offender treatment. So, I do have a good array of experience under my belt. I'm pushing close to about three years and change left, looking, you know, over the horizon, getting close to retirement. Um, I also do host a podcast, uh, well, a YouTube channel, whatever it is. It's uh, Tear Talk. Now, Tear Talk's been around even longer than the YouTube channel. I, I believe I started that around 2012. So, we're pushing around 12 years on that. Uh, we started originally. Wow uh as a radio podcast for i Heart radio tune in the i used to work for a magazine and then uh basically uh i branched into youtube as a way to just you know i felt more comfortable doing video than podca- podcast the audio side of it all I, I, I like doing the video side everybody has their own uh, mm-hmm. i like the video side of it all uh and then um i don't know i i, I at that point i started writing books i mean the Thing about Tear Talk was Tear Talk was meant to advocate for the profession. Uh, so I, I was very motivated in telling people the truth because I felt that the perspective of the profession was skewed. Uh, but with that said, uh, as I matured a little, I also felt that we in the profession need to be inspired. I uh, need proper training. So I wind up looking more inwards than outwards. I figure eventually what would happen here is by focus on the staff on the inside, the love and inspiration that they receive for this profession will travel outside. Uh, But in the meantime, I felt that the best thing for Tear Talk really would be to kind of work with the concerns on the inside. So I would notice gaps and either way I would make episodes based on those gaps. Uh, Mostly some becoming a training, uh, some becoming a morale, wherever I felt at that time gaps were. I mean, we have over 1500 videos on on YouTube. Mm. Uh, And then when I when I wrote the books, so my very first book was "Inmate Manipulation Decoded." That book is used for training all across the country, uh, but the book was built because there was a gap. There wasn't a lot of training built on manipulation. And once I wrote that book, I wrote that book in like an evergreen fashion because I figure you know it's it's something that's going to hold uh, weight through time. And then once I got that book out there and it became well received, I felt another gap we had was in leadership. I felt that people were getting promoted based on skills and and which is great. We need skills, but not a lot of people are being promoted based on how they manage people. So uh, after being in prison management for almost a decade, I felt that one of the things right now that is needed is how we manage people. So what I did was I started journaling and then I developed another book called How to Succeed in Corrections. Uh, It's published by Blue 360 Media, which is Uh, the number one publishing company for law enforcement. Uh, The book is a collection of passages, uh, very quick reads, the passages, but they're supported with other professionals from the field. So they have a quote up on top. And basically it's just insight in a certain area of, you know, whatever I felt that that point was needed. So you have uh, stuff from leadership, stuff from the tactical, all the way through different departments, whatever. And, I I still had stuff I wanted to write. So when that book was done, I wind up writing another one. Uh, This one was for, uh, it's called Tips for New Correctional Officers and Their Supervisors. And that actually came out yesterday. Again, same company, Blue 360 Media, same thing, just collections of passages, different thoughts, you know, kind of read for the day. They're meant to be discussion worthy. So when you read it, you kind of just, hey, this is a great discussion. Let's, you know build on that. Let's let, cause these, these topics are meant to advance on. It just starts the dialogue. And now I'm working currently on a, a daily reader, same thing, you know, insight while I'm, you know, if I figure out something while I'm working, I chart it down and then I put it on a page and then hopefully that will be out sometime next year. I try to commit to one a day. Uh, and it's going to be literally uh, from January 1st to December 31st. And then outside of that, I do a lot of local news. I'm on uh, news nation, uh, CNN, Fox, you know, whatever the case may be to provide a perspective of, you know, what it's like to work behind the wall when there's questions that are out there, instead of them going to someone from the outside, I like to take advantage of opportunities like that and talk from the inside.
1: Yeah. Well, and I appreciate, too, your perspective, because like you said, you, you're going through your history, starting off, you know, working in the field and working in a, a lot of different disciplines and stuff having that wealth of experience but even though now you're working you're not walking the tears right that's as much um but you still are concerned about what's happening behind the walls and the profession as as a whole which is something that's lacking in a lot of admin a lot of people um you know there i've i've seen a lot of places where people fail upwards and uh get promoted and like you said or it's just skill based or whatever or um, I've seen some people where it's almost like a manipulation thing. If admin thinks that mm. they can, they can control someone, that's who they want. They want the yes, man. They don't want, uh, somebody that's going to really lead. And, um, I just kept caught your video. You dropped a couple of days ago, um, on leadership, but a couple of those five tips that you had and stuff. And I thought that was really interesting because I just went to a leadership course, um, uh, from my organization And talking about that switch going from knowing your skills and maybe um, not just like your skills and your rules and the law and those sorts of things, but making that transition into leading people and how that's Mm. really your job. That's important that that's a completely different um, aspect of the job to get into. Um, I don't think people really appreciate how little training there is generally on that. Um, I mean, I got two weeks of training and there wasn't anything special as far as the skills, except um, I'm in a smaller organization. So a lot of the stuff I work directly with admin directly under them. So um, I do payroll and stuff help with that. I help with uh, with training, sometimes with policy and procedure and with um, interviews and stuff like that. So in addition to the normal counseling and dealing with inmate problems. So, um, I appreciate it's a lot of good experience working as a Sergeant getting, um, that, but, um, what, uh, what do you think about is, is one of those gaps that you're seeing right now in, uh, in leadership? What's a, what's something that, um, you think people need to trend towards if they're going to be successful?
2: Yeah, well, first off, that's a great question, and I'm using—I love using the word "gap" because at the end, at the end of the day, we want to try to bridge those gaps. Um, so, so there's a couple of things. So, if we're gonna focus first on leadership, uh, there's a couple of things. So, uh, one thing is, I think we need to promote people uh, that know how to provide an environment that's psychologically safe for staff to feel included, uh, to learn, uh, you know, to contribute and then ultimately challenge what we call the status quo. I'm I'm a big fan of um, a lot of business books on leadership. I also follow a lot of professors. Recently I've been reading the work of Timothy Clark, who is where I'm getting that model from about psychological safety. He said that when you lead, you have to provide an environment of psychological safety because people, you can't lead through fear. So what happens here, if people don't feel that they can speak if they're if they're led through fear, then the problem is they they wind up not giving you the best uh, that mm. they can get, give. And, and in, in corrections, you need decision makers. So I think right now with corrections, you know, we're changing. Obviously, corrections is changing. Uh, and, and I don't think people are afraid of the change. I really don't. I think people know what's happening. I just think people are concerned about what they have to let go in order to move forward with the change. And I think with corrections right now is we have to remind people that during this process of change, we're not letting go of core values, especially safety and security. That that has to be the centerpiece of everything that we're doing. And when we go to manifest the change, we got to let people know that these are the areas that we're going to have that's foundational. And at that point here, where do we go with that foundation? Now, for leadership, I think we have leadership right now that – doesn't know how to communicate that change. I feel we also have leadership that is very quick to uh, shift in regards to external pressure, uh, as opposed to really just fighting for what matters. I mean, we, we've done topics on this before about, you know, never sacrifice the important for the urgent. The urgent is usually external pressure. The important is, is the core values. And I think that what happens here is when you have leadership that shifts it makes frontline hesitant because frontline doesn't know what they're holding on to. You know, can we hold on to safety and security or are we losing that? So I I think right now, in order for us to create really good change, the leadership has to promote an environment where staff can communicate, staff can get involved. The the four stages of psychological safety to me matter. I, I want staff. So when I work, I want my staff, to be involved in a lot of the decision making that we make, which means that even if I'm as a leader, I say what we got to do, I'll push down the how. You guys tell me how you want to accomplish it. And then, and of course, through transparency, I'll provide the why. But but you guys tell me how you think it's the best way for us to whatever whatever it is that we got to solve. How What's the best way to accomplish that? So I want them to feel first. I want my staff to feel included because the opposite of that is excluded. And that's a feeling of inferiority. I don't want my staff to come in thinking that they're less than anybody because when we're trying to solve problems and I got, you know, experts all around me and my job is really as a leaders to facilitate their expertise, we're going to sit as equals because I want them to not be afraid to provide me their best solutions, even if it's nothing's a hundred percent you know, but, but give me something. And then the one thing is, is I also outside of, you know, making them feel included. I want them to learn about what we're doing. I want them to ask questions. It is no foolish question here. I want to give them an environment where they're safe to, you know, ask the questions that they need so they can get a better understanding of where we're headed because I want them to buy in. I know corrections is a very tough job, but it's also beautiful work that we do. And I don't think that's showcased as much. Every day we're making an impact and we're changing lives, whether it's the population, whether it's us, whatever it is, it's a job that does have a lot of beauty connected to it. But unfortunately, you know, when you're constantly surrounded by negativity, uh, you don't always see or appreciate those rare but beautiful moments. So I want people to kind of understand that the change we're building is a change that hopefully increases morale Builds on innovation, but if you don't understand management needs to be transparent with the efforts because we got to build trust. And I think right now that's that's another thing. The trusting relationships between frontline and management, they don't exist, which means that when they don't exist, conflict really becomes conflict. It's not it's not about growing, it's about me versus you. I'm gonna win this argument and you don't grow that way. I want to go to a table, and if I'm wrong, tell me I'm wrong, and, and I trust you. You trust me. Let's, it's not personal. It's an idea that may not work. Then tell me what your thoughts are because you're on the floor solving problems that I don't even know exist half the time. And then once you encourage people to learn, then part of the model here is that they start to contribute. So now I got people who are contributing to the change that we're trying to push across that are actively committed because they feel that, you know, they're heard. And then next thing, you know, once they contribute, then they start making suggestions of their own and that's where innovation comes. But right now, if we don't have leadership that, that understands the importance of psychological safety, how important it is to listen to your people and provide them an environment where they can speak and you listen to their ideas and you and, and, and you work with them uh, when it comes to developing those ideas within a shared partnership. So we have their commitment. Well, then the, the thing here is if you don't do that, you're going to get staff that won't make decisions. They're going to become disenfranchised. And right now, corrections needs innovators. And you're not going to do that as a leader if every time your people go to say something, you belittle their suggestions or outright disregard it. So I think the one gap right now that I'm really trying to work on, I kind of talked in circles, but the one gap that I'm really trying to work on right now is to create an environment where leadership provides psychological safety so staff can truly be the best that they can be. We need their input.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's I I was when I was going through that course, they were talking about the different types of uh, leaders and stuff, uh, different styles that you have, and they bring up like autocratic, democratic, laissez faire, um, you know, and it's like, I get that for for a lot of things, I feel more like the, the servant is really important. I mean, that's what sergeant means is servant and a lot of people forget that. And like you said, translating ideas from admin or what admin wants what their end goal is to what the line staff need to do to accomplish that goal i feel is really my role to be the the person that's mm. in between that can translate up or down um yeah. what they're what they're feeling what their uh, what the goals are what their ideas are and sometimes our administration i work with a really good administration but they haven't worked in my position they got to you know, running the jail from other place, other positions and uh, neither of them were sergeants before. So um, sometimes they don't even understand what my job is. Um, they, they understand the value of the job. I appreciate that, but they don't understand exactly how everything works. And, you know, they'll they'll try to say, well, we need to do this. And I'm like, well, it's a really great idea and I like where you're going with it, but can we adjust it a little bit? Because I know, that line staff is not going to respond as well to this. Can we, can we meet that end goal in a slightly different way? Um, You know, you know, you
2: you know, I'm sorry, Jake, I wanted to mention something that you were touching on. That's so important about your position. The sergeants for me, now mind you, there's different, uh, sometimes people have different structures, but sure. for me, the sar- sergeant is the frontline supervisor, right? Mm-hmm. For me, from administration, I want I want to just make sure I get this thought out because it's something that you're doing that I want the world to know, or whoever's listening, I want them to know this. Um, you you are that translator, 100%. Middle management. Uh, we're also translators but for me when i get something like if i get a strategic idea from a administ- uh, from upper executive staff i am administration, sorry from upper executive staff and they say hey we got to you know make this happen on the tactical side my job is to speak the language of let's say to that frontline supervisor what i hope to do with that frontline supervisor let's say yourself is me and you have an engaged dialogue right And I listen to everything you have to say, because my thing is, I know you're the best person right now to tell me whatever it is strategically that I have to accomplish, you are in the best, or you're the best position to tell me how it can be done because you know what your staff needs and they trust you to speak on their behalf. So I think what a lot of leadership misses out on is you as the sergeant, you as that frontline supervisor are key to create an emotional buy-in, you know, because I can't translate My uh, like, I, I can translate the importance of my emotions to you, but now you have to talk directly to your people. So when we work together and we agree with something, I need you to take that energy with you and then find a way to get your people to connect to that energy, whether it's aligning them to a purpose that we all agree with or whether it's just kind of like, hey, we're doing this because, you know, this is the way you want it to get done, because ultimately I want staff to be committed in their efforts. Because corrections, you need commitment. even when people are like, well, this job's pissing me off, Ganji's pissed me off, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna be 100% at my job today. Be careful with that because that affects the people next to you. Yeah. So with that said, what, what I love what you just said is that as that supervisor, if, if me and you were chatting and then you come up with me and you come up and you tell me all the things that you feel will be the best way to accomplish whatever this generalized goal is, I expect you then to help me translate buy-in and commitment. And that's where you as a supervisor matters because you got to one. And I always do it this way. You got I, my job and, and, and your job, right? I, you're going to get my wants because I, I got it from the executive staff. So this is what I want. You are going to translate to me what you need because for me to give the tactical side You know, make them as effective as they can. That's a need. And we have to fulfill that need. And Mm -hmm. then all I ask in return is because that's the tactical side, but I still want them to be inspired. I still want them to, you know, feel purpose within the work. So what I would ask in in response to that is not only do uh, I help you provide the need, you know, because my my job is 100%. I got to facilitate your needs. But I love if you can do me a favor. After we all communicated, can you translate buy-in? Can you translate commitment? So I know for a fact that I got workers that still feel valued, even if I wasn't able to share uh, what the overall mission was with them. I have you that can translate that emotion. I I thought I I didn't want to cross over what you said, but that's powerful to me.
1: Yeah, well, and that's and that's the thing. It's it's a very unique position for people to be in. I. I took this position uh, just for family reasons. I didn't do it because I felt like I was the only answer, the you know ultimate uh, corrections officer. I was going to fix everything or whatever. But um, it's been really enjoyable. But it's it's one of those jobs where it's like you own all the failures um, uh, fall on your shoulders and you know, the successes are other people's. So it's the, mm-hmm. it's the line staff there. It's their successes. You have to, you know, give them praise rightfully. So for, uh, doing the right work. I mean, we have notes that we keep on office, uh, officers. And I try to put as many, um, <laughs> John said he, they felt depleted. He was, he was their last option, uh, which is <laughs> funny. Which is funny because when I applied, um, I was fairly, um, I'm, I'm pretty, o- I speak openly no matter what. I'm from New York. So I've got that, that just like no nonsense way of talking. Doesn't matter where I'm at. Even if I'm talking to my two-year-old, I'm just like, what the fuck's up? You know, like. Yeah, me too. <laughs> hey, too. it's, uh. It's, uh. It's and when I went to told people were asking like, who's applying, who's applying, who's going to be a sergeant? I applied. Nobody else from my organization applied. They only had outside applications. So unfortunately I was their only, I, I told uh, the administrator, um, cause we went through a slight administration change. And I said, I'm, I feel bad that I was your only option. And he's like, no, he's like, it's been great. It's been really good. He's like, where things are clicking things are working well. You know, I like getting the positive um, and negative feedback. You know, it's like, give me, give me a goal and let's, let's try to meet it, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's the number one thing for us right now that we're working with is morale. And I, I've told admin, they're like, hey, we need to have this many officers because we have numbers. We need to worry about overtime and these things. And I'm like, man, I'd rather have a lower number of officers with better morale and the ones that want the overtime to get it than to be fully staffed with a bunch of people that are going to put our organization at risk. That's kind of the, the spot that we're at. Uh, right now, and a few people that are leaving, I'm like, "Hey, you're you're leaving, but you're you really put us in a bad HR position, put us in a really bad um, just safety and security position. Um, I, I I don't feel bad uh, moving on from them and trying to get some fresh blood in.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, you're 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 right, Jake. So so here's the thing with uh, first off, we talked about rank real quick. Um, for me, when I'm looking at someone who is on their way to make rank, uh, one of the questions that they would ask is, you know, how many years you have come in uh, that you have, or how many years you need before you got to make rank. And it's like, I don't, I don't think it's measured that way. Um, I, 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 think to be honest with you, people that get rank, uh, may expect that they have to know everything before they enter the position, which to be honest with you It's when you start the position that you truly learn because you never really understand what that position is like, even from the position below. So what I what I look for is someone like yourself who's willing to grow and develop into the position. I'm not looking to transform people. I'm looking to cultivate people. I don't have time to transform it. And and lately, uh, just in general, when you start the hiring process out of desperation, uh, you're transforming people. You know, and people that wouldn't be ready. Where back in the day it's like, hey, academies don't transform, they cultivate, mm. they yep. cultivate people. That means there's a spark that they see and they help ignite it. And then when the person gets into the facility, we teach them the application behind uh whatever the lessons that were we'll learned. So it's a great partnership, believe it or not. You know, the mm. academy kind of works on the academic side, provides the foundation, and then the facility says, Hey, it's not about forgetting what you learned. Cause you, I, I don't, I don't agree with that, but I do agree with, let's teach you how it applies and we'll kind of figure out what works and what doesn't work. Cause again, the Academy has got to teach things very general. Uh, but mm. then you got the behaviors of each facility that uh, have different ways of adapting. Uh, but, but with that said, with morale, morale is tough because, Uh, morale is an intentional effort. I did an article a while back for the AJA about is management solely uh, responsible for your morale. Now, granted, um, I use the word solely for a reason. I think that management's job is to create an environment in which people can seize their highest potential, can find purpose. I, I believe all that matters. I do. I strongly believe that we have a right to be fulfilled. We're, we don't have to be happy every day, but we have a right to feel fulfillment in what we do. And even if I have a bad manager, that doesn't negate the fact that my work, you know, my work has value. I don't give a shit, you know, how bad someone treats me. I got to make sure that I still connect to my internal why. So I may have people all the time that challenge me, and if I leave my value for recognition for external purposes, uh, then the concern's going to be is that I am going to shift. I'm going to lose value, but I made it. Clear because I didn't have a perfect career. You know, I worked in five prisons. I I worked for some really good people, but I also worked on the reverse of that. I worked on I worked with people that were just the opposite, and I realized pretty quick that I can't give them that much control over my fulfillment because eventually it gets to that. First, the person's making you unhappy, and the next thing you're like, well, why am I even in this profession? Two things are unrelated. Hmm. You know, two things are unrelated. You know, you cannot allow someone. Uh, I'm sorry, bad manager or not to take away the value that, you know, uh, this profession provides for you, because then what's going to wind up happening is, is you're just going to stop providing value. Uh, And then now you have a life of of, of no purpose. But for the morale part, I believe, yes, management is extremely responsible for creating a culture that allows people to grow and develop. You got to put good leadership there, because at the end of the day, leadership's job is to create. Future leaders provide an environment to facilitate their needs. Now, you mentioned servanthood or servant leadership. I am a believer in that, but I also believe that there's a level of interdependence uh, that matters now. Mm -hmm. I believe it's not so much me being out there serving my people, which is a part of it. Don't get me wrong. But right. it, 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 it's also a part where we we kind of help each other like when I walk into a room, I know for a fact I can't do it alone, but my frontline staff also know they can't do it alone. So so the servant leadership is great when I when they need something, I'm there for them. Uh, but at the end of the day I think the heightened now is the fact that we're looking for an interdependence where we come in knowing that we need each other and that we value, each other, and 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 again, just going back real quick, uh, finish up the thought on the morale. Is morale is an intentional effort from both sides? So management creates this environment that literally they are in control of the environment. Okay, so if they set a good environment, uh, then then all of a sudden, what happens is you need staff buy-in. Now that's the concern. Now now, if I may, so if if I'm a leader and I'm doing everything I can to create a good environment, but let's say the leader before me was negative. The position I'm in uh, has has given this assumption that anybody in this position sucks. So even if Ganji is doing a good job, ah, Ganji still admin because we have that generalized animosity. Or Ganji's not like everybody else. Sometimes frontline, line, uh, and, and, and again justifiably so. I'm trying to listen to their perspective, but sometimes mm-hmm. they find it easier to be cynical and 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 maybe not take on an opportunity that could create good morale because. You know, there's an exchange relationship between both parties. So what I decided to do is I know that anybody in management that tries to introduce something good has to deal with the the bias of just... Managers before them that treated the, the front line as, as less than what they're worth. So now when I go in, I, I can't automatically go in and think that, you know, people are going to see past the title right away and see me directly. No, it doesn't work because at the end of the day, you could have an open door policy, but you're still admin. And, you know, so so you got that title. So what happens here is I make it my mission as best I can. I do have open door and people do take advantage of it, which is great. I love it. But also I'm going to walk around every day because I do want people to see me outside the position because I don't lead through position. I'm not a positional leader. I'm literally about building relationships in an effort to be productive. So having said that, my number one goal is to work with my staff, but ultimately be productive for the agency. Because if I'm if I'm just building relationships to build relationships, then I'm not really going to do much for the agency because I'll be too worried about trying to be Mr. Popular. Uh, but ha- and you know that as a leader, you're going to make some unpopular decisions. But with that said, if I provide something to the front line, and, and I, I you know I, I want them to, let's say, take it. Most of the time, it's, it's me. It's admin not going to take it. But here's what I decided to do. And I think this works. If I can get people that buy into the mission, buy into the vision, people that maybe I invested time in, not spend time, I invested time with them, I could borrow their influence and say, hey, listen, I can't do this on my own because I don't know them like you know them, but I know you and I need your help. Do you trust me? Yes. Do you believe what I'm trying to carry out? Yes. Then I need you to translate that message out there for me. You know, I'm not looking to hit the masses because we're not ready to hit the masses when it comes to morale, because I know I'm going to get resistance, but I'm looking for a small group of early adopters. If you could give me that small group of early adopters, then we could exponentially grow. But as I said, it's intentional effort that goes both ways. So so you have the intentional effort, uh, effort from management that says, this is the environment that I know is psychologically safe. It's an environment that's going to allow for learning and, and growing and, and, and input and innovation and value and purpose and, and just beautiful things that people don't look at corrections and see off the bat. So it's an intentional focus. But I need the front line to accept it. And most of the time, uh, they don't. Uh, again, there could be a fear of past leadership. I get it. Or you have that generalized animosity that leads to a blame culture, you know, where I'm not taking it Why? because I don't trust management. Okay. But, 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 Mm. but it's being off, but it's being offered. So now you're not taking it. Uh, management is still the bad guy, but management's offering. So you need one person to take the risk, Yeah. you know, but it's a very hard, it's a very hard sell, Jake. It is a very hard sell.
1: Yeah. Well, that's the thing. There's, there's a lot of um, different styles and there's, a, there's benefits, pros and cons to both. I know like with the servant leadership, it, and it, it takes a toll. Like you definitely need to take some time. You need to uh, work on yourself. You can't just give all the time. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> sorry john I'm john so he
1: wants to be angry about corrections we can't give him hope <laughs> uh, sorry and this is well and this is what i told john i said you know working with it's it's uh, sounds like it's rare but working with a really good administ- administration um, working with really good people and stuff it's a career that you can go a long ways in. and i feel like um, a lot of people have been shortchanged and not having a very good experience um, but you like know. i said Having that, I feel like with the servant leadership, you also have to have that transactional leadership. Like you said, like, this is what I expect from you. This is what I need. You can, you can give me suggestions. I'm open to suggestions. I'm going to translate what are our right and left limits here? What can we can and can't do in order to accomplish our goal? Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the worst combination I saw was autocratic. It's like, it's that, or, um. It's just that like, do as, do as I say, not as I do with the laissez-faire, you know, it's positional and it's do it because I said so, but also yeah. laissez-faire as far as like, unless something, Layback. yeah, somebody brings it to them, they don't want to know about it. They don't want to know was... about anything. And like, that's the worst combination I've seen. And that was kind of my motivation getting into it. It's like, I need to do something completely different than that, than this like authoritative, you will do as I say, because I'm the Sergeant Knight, you know, but also, you know, there's a place for that, but that well, that combination know, just killed me.
2: <laughs> no, 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 Jake, you're spot on. So, so one thing is you're, you're obviously you said you're talking about a uh, positional leadership, you know, you talk to mm-hmm. somebody and that's, and they point at their rank, you know, obviously you want to play the positional leadership route, uh, the funny thing is you're only going to get what people, uh, you're not going to get above and beyond. If you want to play position with me, I'm going to play position with you. Um, but having said that the the goal always is to you, you believe it or not, it, it, I, I, again, uh, John, John Maxwell has books out there, five levels of leadership. You know, you, you come in as positional leader, you, you have certain rights that people have to, um, follow. Uh, so they have the, uh, they, they have to follow you. They don't want to follow you. So ultimately, that boss mentality, it wears thin. Uh, it does. It wears thin. It may hold you afloat for a little bit, uh, but it's going to wear thin because eventually people see past um, the uh, uniform or the position, especially because as a frontline supervisor, you're exposed to your staff a lot more. They build a level of familiarity with you. So your position, uh, uh, you can't play it out that long because eventually they see you where admin Um, we may not interact with our front line as much as we would like. Definitely, we don't interact with them as much as you guys do as as, as sergeants or lieutenants. So sometimes, and it's still not the right way to lead, sometimes the position could last longer. But having said that, it's still not going to hold up in the long term. When you're leading by position, ultimately, you're leading by fear. And the one thing about that is if I say, do this because I'm this, it reminds you of, of your position now. So we're really, the interactions, the exchange don't work. Now, laissez-faire, I'm not a big fan of that, but I want to make sure people understand something though, because a lot of people think the way I lead could lean towards that, but that's not the case. So Hmm. I believe in empowering my individuals to solve problems, but that doesn't mean I'm not in the background watching what's happening because I don't believe in sink or swim. I do believe that my frontline is in the best position to solve problems. Uh, Most of the problems that I may have to get involved with an administrative level are problems that involve multiple departments where they blend. Uh, But most of the time, if it's departmental, where literally the problem is within the, the department, the department itself, you got your department heads. You got people that are in a better position to solve those problems than you are because they are the experts in those areas. Now, granted. When the concerns start to blend, and you have concerns that relate to multiple departments, because you got policies that are written up in isolation, and then when they're passed down individually, the front lines have to manage the gap, you know, which yeah. is very hard to do. So a lot of the times where they start to blend, or where actually on the extremes, actually, so where they start to blend, or where they start to not touch on any policy, not touch it, the ball gets dropped you know or no one knows to take the ball so i do want people that can pick up the ball you know so let's say it's between custody and medical we have a concern so up top medical and custody decide to operations and medical decides the right policy but they don't communicate up top they pass down these individualized policies now eventually we see it as management we try to build the bridges but to be honest with you those bridges really can't be built until it happens that's the scary thing but that's the truth because situations I mean I mean corrections isn't difficult. it's complex, you know you, you sit back and the, the, the concerns pile. So when you when you see that there's a concern and, and you see that there's a gap in between these two departments, I do I don't want people to freeze and all of a sudden stay in their role. I want someone to pick up the ball, Take the initiative because a lot of people, if if I led through position and I didn't give people a chance to speak their mind or, 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 or made them afraid to make a decision because I'm in cover my ass mode. So anytime you make a wrong decision, uh, instead of me teaching you how to grow from that position or do something better, I'd rather write you up. Well, now I got no decision makers on the floor. And then what happens here is that I got a concern right now that falls into either departmental function. So now there's an ambiguity there. Who picks it up? I don't know. So now I want somebody, because I've given them the environment to be safe, to pick up the ball. Who cares if you make a mistake? We'll figure it out because I, I need a decision here. But there's another part to that too. And this, this, is, this is the unique part. So I want people to be psychologically safe, pick up the ball. I want you to play a role, even if it's outside your apartment, just to be an effort to help things moving. Mm. Uh, but with that said, there's another part here. You also have to know when to give the ball up, yeah. you know? So we, we, yeah, where, yeah. So, you know, that right? so like, let's say again, mm. I, I kind of use medical and, uh, custody sometimes, cause you got two, um, uh, you know, highly essential positions and, you know, safety and security versus care. And sometimes we could bump heads. sometimes, you know, not all the time. Mm. Sometimes. So, you sometimes good leadership knows when priorities shift, you know, and that's fluid. That's in the moment, but mm. having said that I need people to kind of make decisions when those priorities shift. And the yeah. last thing I want to do is create an environment where when a ball drops, it stays dead. It's mm. like, Whoa, what the hell happened here? Well, that was medical. No, no, that was custody. I don't give a shit at that point. Cause it's still the house. So when I'm administration, yeah. <laughs> When I'm in, well, well, yeah. So when I'm administration, one thing I I I'm, I'm very big on is bridging the gap between you know custody civilians all levels because I answer to the house, which literally is everything we're about. So hmm. if if I have custody, let's say that says that's medical's fault, and custody may think yeah we're going to prove it's medical's fault, and custody gets the win, and custody and medical's like nah that's bull that's custody's fault, and the medical's worried about getting the win, the house still loses. Yeah. Ultimately, the house still loses. So I, I don't want like the ball drops and we're at a table because my job's sad to say, guys. But my job is as administration, I, I my job is to Monday night quarterback. But it's not to second guess what my people did. It's just to make sure all my T's are crossed and I's are dotted because eventually any of these matters could always go to court. So sometimes mm-hmm. Monday morning is to follow up just across some T's, dot some I's, close the packet off be done with it, move on to the next issue. That's going to happen in about five, 10 minutes. Uh, but with that said, I don't want the blame culture. And sometimes what the blame culture is, there is a ball that's dropped. And maybe it is a policy that was written in isolation and frontline all of a sudden, maybe because they don't get along. We don't know. The two departments don't get along. A ball gets dropped in either the blend of a function or it gets dropped because no one thought about this function in the moment. So how mm-hmm. do we pioneer and how do we innovate is we give people the right to make a decision on the floor. So I want, I want somebody coming in, grabbing that ball and saying, hey, I know at this point there was a concern, so I decided to go this way with it. And even if it's the wrong decision, mm-hmm. I'm going to listen to that person's intent and I'm going to do whatever I can to cultivate that person. Even if it's wrong, I'm going to cultivate that person to still be a decision maker. So I could take that failure and we could teach that person. You know, I could do whatever I can because the last thing I want is for someone not to take the ball because the because believe it or not, uh, not making a decision is a decision. It's a choice. Right. So, yeah. So now now this person here who does what they could do. Now, maybe it wasn't the best of choice, hypothetically, but their intent was right where it needed to be. And how do you know that? Because I asked you and we chatted. I got to do whatever I can to motivate that person to keep that initiative because that's someone that may be good for a future leadership position.
1: Mm. You know? Well, and John brings up a good point too, even as a, a Sergeant or Lieutenant, you you have to be willing to make a decision, even if it's the wrong one, even if you're making a decision with impartial information and you're ju- you you have to make a decision and you have to go, you have to be willing to be wrong sometimes and and take the correction later if need be, but the way that I've found with that, I, I learned best um, that I taught best when I was field training people and that I've carried on into supervision is letting people know what the end goal is. This is what our end goal is. I don't care so much the steps you don't have to, mem- to memorize one through 25 is going to be more difficult than, okay, th- these are your right and left limits, and this is what we want to do. And if you can find a way to accomplish that, then we're good so that they have that freedom to be like, okay, well you, I know usually we do it this way and they come to me and they're all apologetic. I, I, I know this is how I was supposed to do it, but I did this and that and I'm like, okay, but you met the end goal. Okay. You didn't violate policy in this or anything in this instance. So good job. You did the right thing. And, and then yeah. they just like, sigh this, you have this like sigh of relief. It's like, okay, you did the right thing. Or I can say, like you said, you know, all right, I see what you did there. And it's great that you took the initiative. Maybe we can, how can we tweak this though? So that if this comes up again, we can have a favorable outcome. Maybe it's, it wasn't favorable. Maybe it was, but we need to tweak this a little bit. So how do, how do we put our, our collective heads together to do this? But I really appreciate the, you know, that the effort you made it, you made the effort that you made the decision. So, yeah, yeah they're good.
2: Jake, you're so you're so everything you're saying is so spot on. Because so one thing is uh, when I approach a situation that, you know, may not bend the outcome I wanted, I do ask questions, but not based on judgment. I ask them on curiosity. I'm, I'm just curious. Mm-hmm. There's no judgment here yet. I can't. I mean, unless it's something completely foolish, um, I'm still going to give the person the benefit of the doubt. But like mm-hmm. you mentioned, um, Stephen Covey actually says it best in, in habit, uh, seven habits of effective people is that you, you gotta have the end game and then you reverse engineer from the end game because people need to have a destination, you know, because if yeah. not, they're scrambling. I mean, there've been times where, you know, procedure just did not meet what policy wanted, but we knew policy wanted this. So I, there should always be freedom in, in the procedure. Uh, yeah. to get to that end game. So like you even mentioned here, it's like, yeah, hey, you know, there's a difference. I, I think people should know this. There's a difference between, I don't even want to say violating policy. Uh, or, I'm, I'm, I mean, I don't want to say violating procedure because you don't want to violate policy. But sometimes yeah. people automatically see an adjustment to procedure as a violation of policy. No, those are two different things. Yeah, Policy has an end game. And that's what you have to meet. And then the procedure itself, because we're dealing with ever-growing situations that sometimes you got to struggle, you know, to make the procedure meet the demands of the, of the situation. And I've dealt with that. You know, I've had people that thought that, you know, as administration, we're giving, we're given discretionary power as a supervisor as well. I mean, you know, we, we create policies, but, you know, as you move up, you know, you're given more discretionary power, you know, you Mm -hmm. areas of a lot of people think when you move up, you have more freedom. No, you're burdened down with more responsibility. So you're you're, you know, you have discretionary power to make decisions. Every time I make a decision is not based on me wanting to violate policy. It's always going to be me. It's like, well, i got to meet that policy and I can't do 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 it it? this way. Yeah. Yeah. I I had I had a concern one day where when I was a sergeant and so for anybody that's in front line that you're, you're starting, you know, if you want to move up, you got to have that higher level thinking. You got to understand the house as a whole and really take your thinking outside of your particular department because that's key. And I always was very empathetic to other departments' needs because I'm just empathetic in general. Uh, I've never had a war with medical, never had a war with social services, even as an officer. I understood that I have dedicated people that have a job to do and for for them it's important. And I have to be able to support that just like I would expect them to support me. So we had an issue a long time ago where there was an error made uh, by medical and there was a guy that had a double hernia at a halfway house that should have been brought to the outside medical. Um, But someone had made the mistake and thought that they had to come to the facility first. And when medical had came out and said, hey, we made a mistake. This guy's on his way here. There's no way at this point, this guy's double hernia that we could, that it would be in our benefit to send him to an outside hospital. We're going to have to get him in because he had to be seen immediately. So when we got there, uh, when, when the person got to the facility, I looked in the car and I saw the bumps and everything. I was, a, I, was I had a sergeant, had a couple of GAs with me, a couple of officers with me, and medicals with me. And the biggest concern was I couldn't strip this guy from the, you know, came from the outside. I couldn't strip him. I couldn't Pat frisk him. Uh, maybe Pat frisk, but definitely couldn't strip him. I could push him through a metal detector. I mean, there's certain things I could do, but the main procedure of someone from the outside coming in is they have to be stripped and I, I'm, that's not going to happen. I there's I can't even move this freaking guy. So I, I, I learned a lesson that day. So everything I write in my books, um, I remember where I learned the lesson. I journaled it. And... Mm when I had to justify that decision, which uh, you know I have preservation of life, I had to go ahead and when I had to communicate that to the people who said, hey, Ganji, we can't let him in because safety and security, we can't strip him. All of a sudden, I started thinking of likelihood versus probability. Yeah, And I made the decision because nothing, you mentioned something great right, a moment before about not always having the information. Mm-hmm. You don't, but you still have to make a decision as if you do. And the funny thing is, Your experience is telling you what to do. You just got to learn to listen to it. So even though people may think, oh, you're going to make mistakes, they're usually strategic mistakes or strategic risks based on your experience of, you know, let me just do this. You're not, you're not, you're not making a decision based on nothing. There's something there. So the, the, the likelihood of this person carrying a gun and, and shooting us all down in medical, uh, yeah, there's a likelihood But then, when you look at that vehicle and and you see the double hernia, I go from likelihood to probability. Yeah. Of what's the probability? (laughs) So, what I did was I learned, yeah, it's, 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 so what I did was I found a way to mitigate that. So, basically, if I couldn't get the strip, I definitely documented it everywhere that it wasn't done. I was honest as to why. I'm not going to lie. I was honest Mm. as to why but I also put extra custody at that time. I had another extra one or two officers that was able to sit on that person until we got him into a position where we were comfortable enough to say that we had physically checked them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so again, you know, you, you're, you're going to, as you become administration or as you move up, even as, as a regular, as a Sergeant, you, the discretionary power you have is based on your ability to make decisions with limited information. So if you don't empower mm-hmm. that to your officers or your front line. From that first day, they're going to be really shitty, shitty uh, supervisors. Because I'm going to tell you something: when when I don't when I don't empower decision making on the front line, and these people tend to move up, they become defined by policy as if it's black and white, uh-huh. and they will find themselves scrambling when the procedure itself doesn't take you to where it needs to be. And it's like, okay, well, guess what? That's for you. But I got my boy here, Jake, who's been making decisions his whole career. He'll solve that problem. Yeah. You know, well, he'll and, solve that problem.
1: And that's like John said, you know, when you're in an emergency situation, if, if you um, are, come down too negatively on your staff and they don't feel empowered to make decisions, they're going to freeze. They're going to be like, what do I do in this situation? I don't know. I don't want to make a decision. And like you said, that's a decision in itself. And that's more harmful to the organization you know, and really it's like you're serving the community. Not only are, are do you have a duty to protect that person that's in your custody and try to make a good decision in an emergency to care for them, but you're also a steward of the organization you work for, the tax dollars or whatever that's being used. You know, do, do we need a, a lawsuit for something that's because somebody decided they weren't going to make a decision that day versus somebody that said, this is our problem. We need to fix it. Let's go. You know, well, you let's, know, let's do what, let's do what we can because it's gonna, it's gonna harm the person. It's going to harm the organization and it harms the community, the, the inaction it, the price of inaction is too high.
2: You know, you know, Jake, there's so much, there's so many bullets in what you're saying. So let me just, so to touch on what John said, there's another thing that you add to that. Not only do you get people that are afraid to make decisions, they, they start going to self preservation, preservation mode and covering up their mistakes, you know, mm-hmm. which don't get me wrong, that's still on that person. I'm I, I, I'm I'm zero forgiveness with that because yeah, you may have management that is fucked up and and and, and gonna punish you for doing something foolish. But the problem is, um, in corrections, those little mistakes could have the ability to help hurt others. So I I you know I'm I I don't buy the self-preservation mode, but I also believe management should do what they can to alleviate that self-preservation that's where you know again you have someone who's quick to write people up then their staff goes into self-preservation mode they're not going to omit their mistakes they're going to cover it up so you don't really you don't really um uh, produce a force that you could trust and I, I could tolerate almost saying yeah i i agree now i want to touch on exactly what john just said that's exactly what i was going to get to next so you know i watch a lot of training stuff leadership stuff and i i want to say I want to say this was Ramsey, I forget, but um I'm gonna I'm gonna give the credit to him, but I I forget if it's him. I'm pretty sure it's him. Maybe it was on a podcast, I forget. But when a when an employee makes a mistake, um, and a mistake is usually something where you kind of knew better, um, but you made a bad choice, where failure is <clears throat> maybe you didn't know. And you know, that's where you can grow and learn. So it's good to separate the two, by the way. But either way, um, I look for two things. And, and and this is something that was taught to me. Uh, integrity and competency. I, I think it's Ramsey. So integrity and competency. So I can always cultivate competency to a certain point. You know, because at one point, if you can't do it, then you do become a liability. And that's a whole different approach. But I do want to exhaust all measures to see why the person doesn't understand their role, because maybe it's on me. So I'm going to exhaust all efforts. But at one point, if the person does become a liability after exhausted efforts, then I have to do what's best for the facility, what's best for the team. But the integrity side, you can't cultivate. So like if I have a guy that makes a mistake or a woman that makes a mistake and they lie about it, it's no longer a competency issue for me. It's an integrity issue. And I don't care if they say, well, I just didn't want to get written up. That doesn't, I'm sorry. Because the consequences of what you did are far greater than your ass. Granted, management could do a little better in what they're doing. But at this point, this has got to be on you. So integrity, for me, once you violate that, uh, there's not much I can do. Especially if I give you an environment in which you're allowed to be opened. You're allowed to say what your concerns are. And then, you know, I mean, a a big thing about corrections too is, you want it if – you, if you have a mistake, you don't want it to be discovered. That's the key. Mm. If you can get ahead of it most of the time, people could figure out a way to work around the issue. But mm. if it has to be discovered, then you come back out and all honest with it, the bias is already in place that this had to be discovered. Your integrity is not where it needs to be.
1: Yeah, and oh, like John said, getting that trust back is – Next to impossible. It's, it's, you and, can't. and that's, and that's a, that's a big thing. You know, I'm like, hey, I don't mind uh, being told that I made a mistake. I'll raise my hand and say, there I am fucking up. You know, like that's, that's fine. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Um, what I, but, but, you know, I, I can't hide it. I can't lie about it. I'm almost like the opposite of a, a pathological liar. I probably say, and a little too honest, um, <laughs> which, which is okay. <laughs> Because the admin, it's funny. They asked me a question. They're like, what? They asked me a question about somebody. So we, we had a situation where we had a shit magnet. So you, you're familiar with what, what that is, right? There's just that guy. It just seems to be yeah. his time, right? Like wherever he goes, the shit kicks off. And he was like, he was all upset about it. And I, it's funny because I just had that situation again last week with a different officer. And he's like. You know, if they put me somewhere and something goes off, and I'm like, dude, you're the shit magnet. Don't blame the sergeant for that. That's that's on you. Uh, just hopefully you can pass that baton on to somebody else. And admin asked me, they're like, what is this officer's issue? And I said, he's on some hot girl shit. And he's like, what? And I'm like, you know how they like they like when the, you, you can't like the hotter they are, the crazier they are and stuff. I'm like, yeah. he feels like we literally have a crystal ball and it's so self-centered that it's like. We are literally putting him in the worst position to be there. He, he's not owning up to that he could be contributing to the situation. You know, we all know inmates act up at opportune times when certain people are working or not paying attention. If he's too self-involved, that that's when they're going to do it. It's not that he was a bad officer overall, but, you know, if he's distracted, shit's going to pop off. That's, we're that's right. just the way it is. They're going to take advantage of that opportunity. And they were like, I've never heard anybody like describe it like that before. And I said, well, I'm, I'm sorry. I said, it was just like the hot, crazy matrix, the hot girl shit. It's just, just the blunt way that I get across my point <laughs> via vivid, <laughs> il- vivid illustrations. So, but I, I you really gotta appreciate
2: Got to paint those pictures.
1: Oh yeah. No, the, sometimes they wish I wouldn't. It's too graphic. Um, John, Ah. John is, uh, he's, he's the artist here. I just, I just do things with words. Um, (laughs) but is there anything else that you wanted to share with the audience here? We're coming up on an hour with, uh, leadership that you think, um, that is really wanting these days that people are slipping on, maybe people that have been leaders for a while or people that are coming into it, any like priorities that they need to have, here if they're going to be successful all
2: right so a couple of things and then uh i guess we can wrap up then uh so uh one you got to care for the people that you supervise uh that's Mm -hmm. automatic because especially as you start to move up you're gonna have bigger areas of responsibility so uh you may not have experience in the work that they do but you can care for them and they could you know then be wanting you to succeed i think the more you care for your people the more they pay you back exponentially. I mean, I'm only been a success, you know, in my opinion, I I believe I am uh, because I've been held up for so long. Um, If you ever, I couldn't do this job on my own. I just have more, as you move up, you have more resources. Uh, The the reason why also guys, is we want push more decision-making on the floor is because the uh, higher up it goes, we think more liability. Remember that sometimes people may not agree with management having to make a decision, but we don't really want that decision to be that high up anyway. So, you know, we want the credibility to be down on the floor, uh, not, not up here at the top, because our way of viewing things is a lot different than your way. Like, uh, usually on the floor, they may be settling things for the moment where we're looking more long long term. And it makes sense because, you know, I just want an easy day. You know, uh, you know this is bullshit, the, the, the stuff that you guys got to handle... On the front line every day you, you can't stay focused on one thing too long because you got something else that's gonna pop up so it's quick to just get the situation done and be done with where management's job to be honest with you and it's not to be done to belittle anybody hear me out but where to micromanage those situations because we have the time to do it and then we're supposed to come up with strategies so you don't have to deal with those things again so again yeah. you know why you guys are solving things in the immediate moment we're supposed to give you all the tools to do that. But in the process, try to do what we can for a longer term. So keep fueling you until we can come up with a, a better plan for you guys. And usually how that happens, to be honest with you, uh, is once you guys go through it, obviously we need to bring you up. We need to discuss it with you, you know, and, and say, hey, yeah. these are the things. What, what's your thoughts? Um, and then the other thing is, and maybe this would be for another discussion one day. Cause we talked about psychological safety. Yeah, that's the key managing people. That's the key right now. Uh, mm. uh, I also, maybe one day on another show we got to talk about basics because I think right mm. now a lot of the core values. So this again, goes to leadership. We touched on this briefly where we're swaying with every bit of external pressure and, and, and staff really doesn't know where those core values are. And now that we have more senior staff leaving, uh, the problem is the rookies. Uh, yeah, they may learn something, but they may not have nobody to really look at. And, and, and most of the behavior that I've learned that worked for me was through observation. Uh, it wasn't mm-hmm. through what was taught to me verbally, but rather I, I could see it in action. I, I had to check something as simple as a cell door was taught mm-hmm. to me uh, visually, uh, you know. And so I, I think that right now the next gap is trying to understand um, what we've lost. And, 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 and now what can we assume as management? Because sometimes we may look at something and say, man, how could that person make such a mistake like that? And it's like, well, you just said a couple minutes ago that there's no good senior staff teaching them the way. So is that something that you came and learned new already? And so now maybe the discussion one day could be something where after you've been involved in the profession for like 21, 22 years, whatever, whatever Uh I got, whatever you guys got, how do you look back? and separate what's common sense knowledge from what you had to learn, because what you've learned now become common sense knowledge. But if you don't have that initial introduction, what is it that you expect people to come in with that you can hold them accountable for? And what is it that they may have to be reintroduced to or introduced to because maybe it wasn't so much common sense.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. I want to uh, have some further discussions. I'm I'm totally up for it to get into like those senior, senior officers you know some places have that some don't um things that s- they eventually slip up on some of those pitfalls that they can fall into and in, in newer officers and I think this leadership discussion really is good even for newer officers because they need to understand you know they have to have that service minded um they have to be self-motivated and stuff that they're going to be successful like you said if you just you've dealt with bad sergeants and administrations and stuff you know difficulties there. at least as you've gone through it's it hasn't all been uh peachy keen i'm sure in your career for 20 years but you you continue to push through it and that these are some of those strategies having those discussions it shouldn't come down to line staff having to do that but uh it really should come from the top, but unfortunately there's not a lot of, um, there are a lot of administrations that don't function very well and uh, that aren't doing those things. So maybe some of those tips, some of those things, these officers could be, and we did a thing on uh, exit leave voice neglect, mm. Uh We did an episode on that. Um, you know, it's like, if, if, if you are going to be loyal, if you're going to stay with a, you know, organization for a little while, um, you know, you got to look for those small victories and you got to be able to improve. So I think this stuff will be good even for some of our, our door officers. So thank you for having that. Um, where can people uh, find your book? Where can people find um, uh, you into your talk?
2: Uh, and by the way, the people that need this stuff aren't always the people that watch it. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, let's, let's be honest with that. Uh so, uh, so Inmate Manipulation is available on Amazon. I, I self-published that one. Uh, even though it's, it was edited and stuff by 2020 Media, it was self-published. Uh, How to Succeed in Corrections and the new book that just came out today, uh, Tips for New correction Officers and Their Supervisors, is available through Blue 360 Media. When you purchase those books, they're $40 a book, but you also have access to an ebook. book um, and, and these books right here, those last two books, They're training worthy. They're passages that have tons of topics that are open for discussion. So if you have lineup, it's a good idea to maybe, or training, you know, to maybe bring up a passage and and discuss it. But pretty much everything we discussed here today is noted somewhere along the line. These books are the upcoming reader I got. And if I give one last piece of advice for anyone that moves up in a supervisory position, because again, I really do believe in empowering your frontline because I know how much I need them as well, is I believe, and I've learned this the hard way, uh, Trust is automatic. Distrust is earned. Yeah. It's the opposite of what everybody thinks. So uh, (laughs) it it was an honor coming on your show, Jake uh, motherfucker welder, Uh, you know, but, uh, and and of course next time, hopefully we have John on, but um, uh, great show, man. I can't wait. I'll share the link out and uh, keep doing what you do. Keep spreading that good message, brother. We need that voice.
1: We, I always tell a uh, joke, a dad joke at the end of our episodes. It's uh, it's what I'm known for. So, um, I was gonna tell a basement joke, but uh, it, it could be beneath you. So, uh, no, go ahead, say it. I'm yeah. in the basement right now, say it,
2: brother. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, he wants me to go real gross. Oh,
2: yeah, go, it's all right.
1: Okay, John. John's gonna have to edit this if he wants me to go gross. Uh, did you hear about the kid who was uh, bullied for being deaf? No. Uh, no. Neither did he.
2: Oh, man. <laughs> man i know it's just dad joke
1: it's it's a dad joke it's just one of those he's like no one will ever hear that
0: john's gonna okay good good all right
2: good because once i know that these jokes get edited out next show i'll give you a joke make sure my joke gets edited out
0: all right that was an awesome interview uh hopefully we get to appear on tear talk sometime hopefully soon we've got some tentative plans to appear on the show and uh, talk about what it means to be a correctional officer in terms of actually getting the job done instead of like the high-minded philosophical stuff, which is the only place where I can make any kind of ground. <laughs> Jake and I, go ahead and uh, shoot us some DMs uh, about what you think of the show. Uh, take a picture of your favorite scotch or, or whiskey, as I've been doing in the past week, and uh, send it my way or Jake's way, and then uh, you know we, we might try some on air. Uh, Because this show needs needs a second thing going on, which we have determined will be alcohol. So (laughs) uh, whatever it is you've got in your cabinet or whatever it is you see at the store, if you think I like this, uh, shoot us a picture of it and we'll give it a shot. We appreciate you following us as always. You can reach out to me online. Difficult to look at pictures is my DM handle. You can find Jake at Jake Motherfucker Welder on Instagram because he had to outdo me by one. Uh, Jake I know you, you just had a joke on there about uh, deaf people and apparently you and Anthony did not get the joke I was making that I said I would edit it out to make sure that nobody would ever hear that joke Yeah, I just so got it now you just now got it <laughs> did, did you want to take this out with an additional uh, bonus Jake joke
1: sure What? Uh, what type of doctor do trans people go to
0: Man, you had to go real political on it, huh? Bad doctors.
1: A guy now, cologist.
0: All right, I'll, <laughs> I'll allow it. And I shouldn't have to, but that's the world that you folks made it, not me. I don't, I don't claim responsibility for any of this shit. It's all on you. All right, we'll catch you next time. Goodbye, everyone. Say goodbye, Jake. Goodbye, Jake.